All right, so let's do that. Okay, I have hit record, so let's do the goofy bumper promo outtakey thingy whenever you're ready. Okay. This is when you do Hi. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take two. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Laura Noel from stretchintosuccess.com. I'm excited to be here. You are listening to Jeff Smith from Room Room Beer, so don't crash. Stay tuned. Nice, nice job. Wait, I think we should do that again because you kind of got it nailed there. You did too oh, well. So that was too okay. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> take three. Three is yes. a charm. There you go. No, that's fine. I'm gonna hit stop. I'll be right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Kimberly Pittman Schultz, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Beer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great. It's nice to be on this show. Nice to meet you, if virtually, Jeff, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And uh, I can tell you're a poet because you are in front of about a million books. And that's awesome. I'm a bookaholic. <clears throat> yeah, I love it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Little tchotchkes there, man. I could just stare at that forever. <laughs> yeah, but wow. will you come dust it? That's what I want to no. know. <laughs> Actually, dusting is very therapeutic, so I might take you up on that. <laughs> okay, so you are Kimberly Pittman Schultz. You are at poetowl.com, and you are an author of a book, Grieving Us, colon, dot, dot, space, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself which sounds awesome. So talk a little bit about what you're most excited about in your business today. Well, certainly writing the book is an exciting point for me because you don't really just write a, you know, like write a book like it's no big deal. Um, right. It's something like I wrote. Getting, you know, uh, coffee or something. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, and you're, you're, we're in the midst of a pandemic. So when I started writing that book, um, I was really motivated by what is was happening with the pandemic at the time. Mm. I had kind of would have hoped that by now we'd be a little, you know, um, you know, less re less, need less needing to re to wear masks, but right. um, you know, it is where where we're at. So what's been exciting for me about the book is not only the response to the book and and having people reach out to me that have read the book or listened to the audio book, but you know, people also wanting to to work with me and implement some of the strategies and practices I share in the book. So so it's opened up sort of a whole um, new element to my life and my career in terms of being able to help people find their way back into their lives after the loss of someone they love. And you're connecting. See, so that's. It's it, lockdown. It's usually connection. connection. Yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, it so really good, is right? connecting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I told this to somebody else and I said, well, isn't it kind of sad, you know, that people are telling you their stories of loss and, and some people navigate loss pretty well. And some people really struggle for a long time and it <clears> depends <throat> on the nature of the loss and you know how close the person or the animal was to them. But for me, it's, um, it suggests such a whole degree of trust 
um, and this idea that they found something helpful um, in my words. And so I think we should all be so fortunate to, to be able to do something that, you know, helps somebody, and especially somebody you didn't know, <laughs> you know, right. it's just somebody that's right. just out there walking their own path. So, so that's been what's really cool for me right now in my life. Yeah. I had somebody recently on my show. She was, uh, she had the blurse, <laughs> the blessing curse of being witness to her father's passing. And, you know, that is, you know, you don't want to miss it, but it's also, it's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot, right? And she actually walked me through what, in her words, she just described the, the beauty of the passing. And that was, that was um, hmm. nobody ever said that before, right? So that was new to me. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that is the ultimate blurs. Um, right. It, it really is. It's because part of humanity. It's hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Mm. Um, you can't, there's so many things you can do with and for people, but you can't do that. You can't do leaving life. I mean, you can only right. be a witness. You can be there by the side. Only right. they can take that journey on their own. And it's not everybody can do it. It's some people, it's just way too intense. Mm. Um, but right. I certainly was there with both of my parents and, um, you. you know, they, it remains among the most meaningful experiences in my life. Right. I, I can imagine like uh, I had an, a girlfriend, not a friend that was a girl, who um, had a home birth, okay? She actually gave birth to one of her kids in a bathtub at home with a midwife. And I was like, oh, man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that would be great, you know? Um, I don't think, you know, my wife and I never decided not to have kids, so I can't even imagine a context where that would happen, but I'm open to it. If anybody out there wants to have a baby at home and let me watch, I'll, 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 I'll carry the catcher's mitt if, if that's okay. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about sharing that story at this juncture is right now there is what's, what's sort of called a good death movement or a, Ooh, um, I like that. you know, having choices at the end of death. And it, and it really does mirror the good birth movement of the 60s and 70s where right. and i think the pandemic has magnified it because you know we've been able to pretend like we're never going to die right and then the pandemic happened and um you know we saw people of all ages especially now um we're seeing younger people get really sick and also die right um and it just kind of reminds us oh my gosh none of us get out of this alive and right. there is a degree where people are saying you know if there's only if there's one thing worse than socially distanced living it's socially distanced dying and right. so a lot of people really do put some thought and planning into what those final days, weeks, months, hours might look like. And it can sound a little crazy until you get to a certain point in your life where you start realizing, we start by realizing what we don't want, right? And mm -hmm. then we move into, well, what would I like? What is meaningful to me? And uh, I actually think it's a really good thing. It's a good idea. Yeah. I, yeah. It's good to have a plan there. I, 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 like I told you in the pre-show chat, we're already having this conversation with my elderly parents and they don't want to talk about it. And I don't want to talk about it, but we do. <laughs> we, we do to the point where they've already bought in their plot and the, the headstones there already. And I'm in the, I already told you, I'm in the process of trying to convince them to, you know, pre-buy their caskets um, because then they get what they want. <laughs> 
you know, I, it doesn't matter to me, right? It's just got to look cool, right? But they are interested. When I said pine box to my mom, she's like, I don't want to be in a pine box. <laughs> and I get it. it that's, that's yours, mom. That's, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> And see, she started from the point of what she what didn't want. want. She knows what she doesn't want, you know, <laughs> so then you got to start thinking right. about it. And, um, and I think, you know, everybody's different about how they relate to it. I know it, it with, first of all, it's great that you can have that conversation with your parents and that right. you can inject a little humor into it. Yes. Um, sometimes you have the opposite where the parents really want to discuss it with their children. And uh, I've worked in philanthropy doing charitable end of life planning and gift planning. And so often the parents want to have this discussion and their kids are like, Oh no, you're fine. You're, you know, you're, you're going to live forever, you know, and it's <laughs> actually not yeah. helpful. You in know, um, yes, uh, basically. it is yeah, yes. in denial. So, okay, this is Room Vroom Veer. So that means we have to go uh, back in time and talk about your life, creepy as that may sound. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you grow up? Kind of all over. My dad was oh, a field nice. engineer, and so I was born in the Midwest, but we lived, you know, we moved when I was a kid. And uh, so instead of just leaving my mom and my mom and myself while he traveled on his job, we they put everything in storage and we lived in a literally a travel trailer, not a mobile home. It was literally a travel trailer for a few years. And we'd just wow. go wherever he was working. And um, so like it was, my mother loves it actually. And I was a kid. So, and I was very self-directed and um, you know, so it worked well for me. I mean, I think the side effect is that I learned very quickly. If you're moving around a lot, um, it's painful to get to know people too much or get too attached to people if you're going to then go ahead and be moving them. And right, as a right. more of an introverted person, I was constantly the new kid and learning, you know, new people. So it, you know, I think it built a level of resilience um, for me and also okay. helped me develop a really rich internal life because, you know, we were always shifting and moving around. That's when you got into books when you were in the travel trailer. Yeah, I was definitely, that's one of the things my mother would say she loved about me as a kid because she could give me a book or she could, I was very self-directed so I could, you know, she could give me stuff to do in the back seat and, mm. you know, and I just, I didn't bug him. <laughs> Good for you. I was not. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> let's see. I, I, I was big into Legos as a little kid. Legos. So Legos okay. are fun, but I never really wanted to build anything. I was only building things to break it. <laughs> oh. Which well, you were doing awesome. you're, yeah. You were hurting right into the 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 veer part at a at a young mm -hmm. age. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was not really all that. I mean, I, sometimes there was a couple times where I would get into like, like I would build like this big thing that kind of looked like a plane, and then I would have it like have. Okay, so now this is a plane that can carry two cars, <laughs> right? And then and you know that was fun because it was sort of like. Oh, okay. So this is like a spaceship and these are the shuttlecraft, you know, <laughs> like my imagination is having fun with it. It's a great imagination. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, seriously, a great imagination. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. It was fun. You, yes. And then you weren't a bored kid. And then smashing them together <laughs> at some point with your buddy. That was when we discovered that, that you could like ram them together and they would explode and not break. That was awesome. That, that was a whole new world of fun. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So what was uh, high school like for you? It sounds like maybe you were on the road a lot. So did you have traditional high school or not? 
I did. Yeah. At some point, my sister came along and that made us need to settle down a little bit more um, because it's really hard with a baby to kind of, you know, be running around a mobile home. Yeah. Um, But we still moved a little bit because my dad was still a field engineer and he kept getting promoted. So that usually led to moving other places. So I started high school in one area and high school and and left high school in a different area. And then I actually graduated from high school a year early. It was kind of an egghead, you know, introvert, like I said, kind of introverted bookish kid. And I wasn't a popular girl. I wasn't, you know, I just couldn't get into a lot of it. And like I said, I was at two different high schools, so I didn't grow up with everybody. And so I just really wanted to go off to university and just get lost in the shuffle of people and, you know, and learn. Um, so gotcha. high school was, you know, just, um, just you know, I was you a band geek. Live through. <laughs> oh, band geek. Yeah. I was a band geek and, you know, and my, and my mother had a baby when I was 15 and a half. So I was also helping to raise my baby brother because she wasn't well right after she had him. She, she okay. had some issues in the early times. So I was helping raise him. And, you know, like I said, I was kind of a geeky kid. So like when other people were going to the proms, I wrote a symphony. So it was, I was a different kid. <laughs> okay. So book nerd. Okay. Understood. Yeah. Book nerd, band nerd, but band is pretty social. I mean, you are making friends in band. You are. Yeah. Other nerds. Yes. Other band nerds. Great. What, <laughs> what did you play? I was a flautist. So flautist. I played flute. Okay. Yes. And eventually I played all kinds of things. That's how when other people got jobs working at fast food, um, you know, uh, I think the wage was two fifty an hour or something back then. I got a job teaching music lessons to people of all ages, little kids and retired oh, people. Yeah. And every time one of the other music teachers would leave, the guy would say, do you think you could learn to play the trumpet? Do you think you could learn, you know, because you're just teaching beginners. And I was okay. very good at that. And so at one point I was teaching all kinds of instruments and it was it was a and I, and I earned, you know, more than twice what I would earn flipping burgers. So right. it was fun. That, that does sound fun. And you're right. You don't, you don't need to be like Louis Armstrong to teach somebody how to play the trumpet. Right. No, no. <laughs> Just better than them. <laughs> exactly. One step ahead. There you go. That's pretty neat. So, okay. So how did you end up? Well, what did you study in college? Well, I started out as a music major because I wanted to be a composer, but very early on, I was still living at home, still helping my mother raise a little baby. And um, I just couldn't do the performance requirements that I needed for my music. So I kind of looked around. And the other thing I loved writing is I've been writing since I learned how to write. I was always writing and scribbling and doing little poems. And I remember talking to a school counselor who said, you know, you know, if you are in English, because a lot of people were taking business majors, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be a business major. Right. <laughs> and so the teacher said, well, yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, if you can communicate, that means you can think well. And there's always people that want to hire people who can communicate well and think well. And because like, okay, that sold me. And so I was an English major. So I, you know, I studied literature and writing and poetry and um, creative nonfiction. And um, yeah, that's fun. That's it was fun. fun. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, I wanted to teach, but mm-hmm. you, nobody was getting teaching jobs back then. You couldn't get a teaching job if your life depended on it. Did so you, I just went on and got my master's, figuring something would open up. Did you have fun in college? I did, but 
again, I wasn't one to like party. I never lived in a dorm. You know, when I finally moved out on my own, I had my own little studio apartment. And so okay. I was working and going to school. And then so no um, I still was writing. <laughs> no, no, no. The closest, unless you, unless just having a hamster count, I mean, that would be about sure. the closest. <laughs> that was my version maybe of, a, of an animal house. I think I did have a hamster for a little while there. Um, but you, no, you, I mean, I was a pretty serious What do you think of the hamster as a pet? I had a, a guinea pig. Uh, actually two yeah. guinea pigs. They were kind of boring as far as pets go. Now, were they friendly with you? I mean, did you, would they let you hold them and snuggle them and all that? Um, not really. I mean, yeah. my I sister had one and it was a total companion animal, which would climb okay. up and get in her hair and liquor. And, you know, now the hamster really, it liked the wheel and it liked the little pellets. And then yeah. it kind of liked me to leave it alone. Right. To me, the <laughs> guinea pigs were just sort of like, they didn't want much to do with me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to bond. I, I, the, the internet was very nascent at that point when I had the guinea pig. So I couldn't exactly Google, like, how to bond with my guinea pig. <laughs> no. And you know, it's funny having traveled in South America where guinea pigs are, um, raised and often kept in the kitchen and they are food sources. Uh, um, okay. you know, uh, I think if we could explain to American guinea pigs what their South American counterparts are, <laughs> with, they'd probably get way friendlier with us. Good point. <laughs> I actually went through a birth death scenario with my guinea pig because not only did oh, I find okay. out that I had inherited a boy girl pair, then they had a baby and the mom died. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So the baby I was okay with. I was like, okay, we had a baby. Now I have three, right? But when mom died, that's when I was like, oh, I can't handle this. I can't handle yeah. animals dying on my watch. <laughs> you Jeff because you know usually the among the first deaths that people ever experience are either the death yeah. of a pet or the death of a grandparent but a death of a pet is like yeah. you know a really first real life like yeah. where did they go right I was early 20s early 20s that was not my first animal death though so I had lost a cat that I actually cared about I watched a gecko chameleon die on my watch. I didn't like that. No, no, that was hard. Um, but yeah, the, um, the Guinea pig again, hadn't really bonded with them. And I was still, I was like, Oh my goodness. I felt like a bad pet owner. <laughs> well, cause we do think, you yes. know, it's my right, job to know. keep it alive. Right. I felt like exactly. I failed it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and she was a mother. I mean, so it, you have a compounded issue there where it's not just a guinea pig. It's also a mama, right? right. So that's also, that's going on in the back of your mind right. there. Right, right. Thankfully, the pet, the, uh, the pet shop in Hawaii there uh, took them back. <laughs> I was like, I'm a bad owner. Please take them from me. And they're like, okay. You know, so that was, that was my guinea pig journey, I suppose. Okay. <clears throat> so how did you end up Becoming a poet. I didn't even know that that was a job title anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, well, let's say it's not really a job title because I think if you had to live off of poetry writing, right. unless you live in Ireland where they, they poets don't have to pay income tax and there's, oh, wow. they're in an, they have an esteemed status, as I understand, in Ireland. Okay. Um, in Ireland. my country of the <clears throat> USA. Not so much. Um, 
No, it's uh, if you're going to make a living as a poet, you're going to be living in your parents' basement, most likely. So, um, but it's, you know, being a poet is sort of, I always feel like for me, it wasn't a choice. Like I didn't wake up one day and think, I'm going to be a poet. You know, I just didn't. You just start writing. It's just something you do. Mm, um, yeah. And then, you know, then you you discover that about yourself um, and you start focusing on it more. I mean, so I de- definitely took courses to learn more about it and put things some, in con- context. And then, you you know, the best way to be a really good poet and a really good writer is just to read voraciously right. everybody else. So it also right. fed another habit, right? Of my bookaholism. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, totally. I get that. You know, and I've been reading for like a long time. So like once you get a reading habit, you know, and you know this, but so many people just don't read. I mean, I couldn't imagine not having, I usually have two books, like one nonfiction and one fiction going on, like simultaneously. I've kind of dialed back on the nonfiction. Kind of done. Probably not done. Maybe That's just real life. Let's move on to fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe just taking a pandemic break from fiction. Totally, re- totally I could, reasonable. I could not stop reading um, nonfiction. Just couldn't happen. You know, couldn't happen. And I love it. You know, it's like uh, <clears throat> you'll be in a conversation with people and a word will just come out of you and they'll be like, back up, genius. I don't know what that word means, (laughs) which in the military can get you in trouble. So, you know, but, you know, it's still. And they've got guns there. Well, yeah. And they probably, the person I'm talking to is like outranks me and went to college and is supposed to be smarter than me. (laughs) So if he doesn't know a word that I said, that's not making me look good. Right. I can tell. Have you ever read any of the uh, Douglas Adams science fiction books? I have not. Hitchhiker's no, Guide to the Galaxy. I'm familiar yeah. with it, but you know, I've never. Okay. I've been on my reading list, never have read it. So haven't gotten there yet. My commander in Hawaii um, was a big fan, <laughs> to say the least. So there's this inside joke um, in that book series about. the answer to life, the universe and everything is 42. Okay. And that's supposed to be funny. (laughs) There's a whole bigger joke around that. Okay. Right. I don't know. Well, if you ask an iPhone, it will tell you it's 42. Right. Also. (laughs) So Siri will always spit out that answer. Right. Right. That's where that comes from. (laughs) So he would always put in his emails signature, 42 cents, dot, dot, dot. Okay. So in reference to this book, right? Like he was the the answer to life, the universe and everything. A little egoic for me, but okay. I'm okay with that. (laughs) But he would challenge all of his junior officers to figure out where it came from. Right? Ah. Right? Trying to get them to read. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, uh, and it means you can't BS with them because he's going to know if you read it or you didn't. Right, right, right. So they were they were like uh, having this conversation where this captain was drilling him, like trying to give get him to give him clues. And she's like, but what is 42? I, get, I don't get it. And I was like, 42? <laughs> and, he's, and he's giving me looks like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> don't tell, don't tell. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> 
anyway. I and so what a connection, right? That's, that's there's a lot of actually, ways to connect. It actually got me out of trouble. Knowing that reference got me out of trouble. I, I would have been in more trouble when I screwed up with him had I not already had that connection. So, yes, never, never bad thing to read a book. Okay, so let's get into this whole grief gig that you've got going on. <laughs> and maybe we'll probably laugh a little bit less. Maybe not. I don't know. So, so you write this book. And this grieving us thing, you said it sort of like germinated during the pandemic. So talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the origins of the book. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I work in philanthropy and have worked in philanthropy for a lot of years. And right before the pandemic really became a thing, I did my last I did a trip um, to visit with some donors doing some end of life charitable gift planning and that kind of thing and came back sick. And I was up in Seattle. And that was one of the first areas where they were identifying community spread. And back okay. then, people still didn't really believe, oh, that's just something, you know, you haven't been to China, you're fine, you know, that right, kind of right, thing. Right. I really but I was really sick. I got really mm. sick. I kept testing negative for every kind of flu that they had. And, you know, the COVID shots, you know, were difficult to get. And in this area, I live in a very rural part of Northern California. They weren't all that accurate. People weren't really doing much of them. I did finally get one. We didn't even have tests at that point. I don't know. Like well, they, we had just the beginning of the early test, which turned right. to prove to not be all that accurate either way, positive or negative. I finally right. did get one. I tested negative. But the bottom line was, is I was very, very sick for a, the better part of a month. And then you're watching what's happening in the world. And, you know, I like, you know, to read read um, things that are a little off target. So it's not just necessarily the mainstream. So I kept picking up all these stories of people in unusual places turning up with COVID that's like, well, they're not supposed to have it according to what everyone's saying. Okay. But what was also happening is, you know, colleagues I was working with, um, donors I was working with, people in my little universe, you know, by phone and Zoom, people we're struggling with it. I mean, the pandemic put death right front and center for everybody. It right. had a, a randomness about it that we do not like. The human brain does not like randomness. Like, they like they like to know what's going to happen. Yes. They like order and right. and uh, so that little chaos. So I realized that it's one of those things you, you know, when people say, oh, you know, how do you find your purpose? For me, it was never about finding or going to look for it. It sort of emerged over time. And what I realized mm -hmm. is, you know, I started with loss at a very young age. I had a series of different losses that some of which were crippling for a little bit um, after my mother died. And, uh, and it was right. My mother died two weeks after uh, my friend and neighbor committed suicide. Wow. Um, so, you know, that set me back for a while. But what I realized is I had that I had already developed a process for dealing with grief and loss and navigating really big challenges and that I had something to offer. And maybe I didn't, I, there's a part of me, you kind of go back and forth. Like, oh, is that kind of egotistical to think, you know, you have something to offer? I mean, I really, who are you? Who the hell am I? Right. You exactly. To, right. I'm this poet we geek, you know, that. we all do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally. But then, um, you know, I just decided, and my husband, you know, is dealing with some major health issues. He's in his end of lifetime. So there was also a sense of urgency that I wanted to, if I was going to write a book, I wanted to do it like ASAP because I wanted him to be able to be a part of that and experience it and all that okay. kind of thing. And he is still with me and we're still, you know, cranking along. But so, you know, I actually just sat down about a year ago. This is, uh, you know, August of 2021. So a year ago and uh, maybe actually it was right after Labor Day. It's right after my husband's birthday. And okay. so I started writing and um, 
I, I got it done. I mean, it was a really big accomplishment. I had written a poetry volume before, but I had never written a nonfiction piece. Mm. Um, so that's it was, a, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It it's is. a huge challenge. So good job. Right. And you can't stop life. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to stop all <laughs> life while I write this book, you know? So it's early mornings, weekends, you know, all okay. that kind of stuff to try to get it done. But what I discovered along the so way you had to keep is all your other plates spinning. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. Yes. And it was also kind of healing for me because, you know, one of the best ways to really know about yourself and to know what you know is to teach it to other people. Totally. And so for me, it was, it was my real motivation was to be helpful to other people at a time that was, and I think very much still remains scary. Oh yeah. Um, it's not but over. also, you know, yeah. you know, it, it was healing for me to just do it and to remind myself of, you know, the processes I do have that are helping me navigate a challenging time. Right. Wow. Well, thanks. <laughs> you know, I was, You're welcome. <laughs> I was basically just screwing around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I was one of those people, you know, when you'd come back from school in the, in the, in the September and they'd say, what did you do for the summer? I always had something to report. So oh. I did not want to be caught left with what did you <clears throat> doing during the pandemic? Well, I wrote a book, you know, you got to have something. You got to have right? something to say. Understood. I was one of these people that would do like things I didn't want to do just to have something to say that I did. You know, I remember skiing, downhill skiing in uh, Japan. After I had done wow. that quite a few times, I was kind of over it, but I kept doing it because it was always an exciting thing to say on Monday. What'd you do? Oh, I oh. went skiing. Oh, where'd you go? Oh, I went to Hakoda. Oh, was it fun? <laughs> do that last part, Jeff, I think. Just leave it at the, uh, the exciting. I guess I'm a little too honest sometimes. <laughs> you know? Just say, Konnichiwa. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. That's what people want to hear, right? Uh, but yes, okay. So let's talk a little bit about this tiny come back to your senses ritual because that sounds neat. Um, so yeah. people are really... So to me, I saw this movie. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, wait, madly, deeply, sadly, griefly. There's like these three letters. Anyway, I'll, I'll get it. You know what I'm talking about? And there's love in there somewhere, right? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. I'm not sure that I've actually seen the movie, but I've heard the title because just because the title is kind of cool it's, that we can't remember. Yes. It's so cool we can't remember it's it. It's so cool. It's like deeply, madly, lovely, yeah. I'll look it yep. up and put it in the show notes. But basically, a guy dies... And his ghost hangs out, right? But the gist of it, I think, my takeaway was that grief is a process and you're going to feel things that you don't think are okay to feel. <laughs> yeah. One of the big things you're going to feel is angry at the person who died and left you alone to deal with earth. Um, that's not a thing that I had heard before, so that was interesting to me. But anyway, we can get into that later. I just wanted to not forget it. So let's get into this tiny come back to your senses ritual. So what is that and what what's the goal here? Right. Well, when I first uh, sort of stumbled into tiny come back to your sensory, come back to your senses rituals, it was totally by accident. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, just before my mother died, my mother had uh, uh, small cell lung cancer. Ouch. And just before... She died. I mean, so you knew what was going to happen there. But just right. before, two weeks before she died, my neighbor, next door neighbor and friends uh, took her own life. 
and actually ended up doing it at night under the tree that my kitchen window looked out on. So there was like all kinds of emotional stuff. And then two weeks later, my mother passed away. And I write about this in, in the book. Um, and I went through a period because I had a kind of a complex, complicated relationship with my mother. And then I had this, you know, this sort of suicide, my mother's death, all this stuff kind of tangled up together. And I went through about two. And then I did something that was really bad. I mean, I I, because for so many reasons, I needed to just leave that area. I just, I just did. My husband and I, um, I was offered a position back on the West Coast. We knew we wanted to get back because my, my family lived in, in Pennsylvania. My husband's a fourth generation Californian. So we knew we wanted to get back West. We actually went to Washington first before we came down to California. So I changed houses, I changed jobs, and I'm in this grief process. And um, I went through two years where I really felt... Um, deeply sad. And like you said, grief, we'll talk about it further. People think of grief as just sort of sad, but grief is like a kaleidoscope of a million different emotions, feelings, sensations, thoughts. It's really complicated. Right. And um, I had people tell me, you know, you're in depression, you should go on antidepressants. But I knew in my bones that grief and depression, you, grief can become depression, but at right. that point it was still grief. Right. And um, grief your life can gets really broken. depression too. Absolutely. Right. It absolutely can. And right. so I was at a point, we were living along um, the East Fork of the Lewis River in Southwest Washington. And every night before I went to bed, a lot of your rituals and habits get broken in a loss, you know, because your life gets broken in different ways. But I always locked the doors before I went to bed at night. And so one night, right as I was locking the doors, I thought, I'm going to walk out to the river. I just it was just like a random thing. I just did. And I walked out to the river and I just stood there. And as I've shared in the book, I listened to the sound of the water and the way water goes over the rocks. And um, I could hear, you know, a little wind in the trees and then, you know, birds that were probably up in their nest for the night, little shuffles. And I just stood there for a moment. And all I did was just stand there and listen. And then I kind of turned around. And as I'm walking back to the house, it just dawned on me that in that little space that I was standing there, just sensing and feeling what was happening around me, the coolness of the night on my, on my, literally on my arms and the skin of my arms, I realized I had taken a break from grief. And okay. over time, what I realized is those sensory breaks or those sort of mindful moments where you're just, you know, focusing on a sense or a sensation or what's happening in the environment around you, you give your mind a break, you give your emotions a break, and you do take a break from grief. And in that little break, if you can increase those little breaks, you can actually begin to invite joy back into your life. Um, so that's that's where it came from. So the idea is, you know, when I started sharing this with other people who are struggling uh, and they'll say, well, I don't have time to go stand by a river. And I said, you know, you only need really three minutes. Do you have three minutes? And it doesn't have to be a river. It can be anywhere, you know, find, mm. you know, find what that is. Um, and, you know, so that's why I call it a tiny come back to your senses ritual, because it actually it's tiny, but it's really powerful in your ability to shift um, and be able to move through grief um, in a more in, with greater well-being and joy. Mm. That's that's big. What you just said there, something similar to that sort of organically saved my life back when. When I was in my 20s, I went through depression and a couple of suicide attempts. And wow. I would do that, what you just said, those little breaks. They weren't river. That's a really cool moment. But it was just like I would literally be sitting there crying and then somebody would call me, right, and say, hey, you want to go to a movie? And I'd go, oh, God, yes. <laughs> 
right? And and then I would go and forget about depression for that whole time. I wasn't, right? And I was just taking a break. Now I knew it was coming back, but during the break, I was totally down with not being depressed. Um, eventually, you know, some other things happened and, you know, I got over it, not done, but over it. <laughs> but when you said that little story, I got to take a break. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost yeah. like you need this sort of like, it's, I, I can't think of a, a better way of saying it. You just need a break from that, whatever's going on in your brain at it that is. moment. Yeah. It really is. And I think what you feel like, whether it's depression or whether it's grief, you often feel like you have absolutely no control. It just takes you and mm. it owns you. And so what, you know, once you realize you can take that break and you can be more intentional with it, mm. you can, you know, um, that allows you to take a little bit more control back. That's not to say you won't find yourself in the grocery store checking out the tomatoes and suddenly burst into tears, you know? Right. I mean, those things still happen. Right. 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 Um, right. And it doesn't mean 20 years later that something's not going to hit you the wrong way right. or maybe a very right way, you know, touch a little place in your heart and mm. bring back some deep emotion or dark, or dark thoughts. It can be positive and negative at the same time. Mm. But to know, for me, that was the beginning of healing because I realized I could, I could begin to make this happen. And if I could begin to make more of these things happen, I'm going to start to feel better. I'm going to start to get my life back and feel like there's, you know, and for, and I think you also have to define what joy means. Like when people say joy, I don't mean like you're buoyantly happy. And, you know, um, right. I, you know I think there's, there's happiness and then there's joy. And for me, yep. joy is about feeling like you're meant to be here, that you have a purpose, you have a reason for being here. And that in this moment, even though you're, you're dealing with the loss of somebody or, or in your, in your case earlier in your life, you've got this cloud of depression around you that's hard to really grab. In that moment, though, everything's kind of okay. You know, maybe right. not great, maybe not, right. but it's like, okay. And I think right. that's, if you can get to that place, then mm. so much more is possible. Somebody said, I can't remember what it was, was there was this visualization exercise about the, the pain and loss where you sort of like, imagine it as whatever you want it to be inside of your head, right? And then imagine it smaller with space around it. <laughs> and I was like, this is all very hooey, but okay, I'll go with you, right? And that didn't make any sense to me until what you just said. It was like, that break is three minutes of okay. It's not good. You're not good. You're not done, but you're okay. <laughs> I'm exactly. okay now. I have this much, I have three minutes of space around that big thing that I, d I wish didn't happen. That, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it sounds goofy. You know, I tell, a story, I, I tell a story in my book about a woman who, because there's a couple different ways that people grieve. I mean, we all grieve completely uniquely, but there are sort of three general patterns that most people tend to fall into besides introvert, extrovert, and all that kind of stuff. Right. But one, you know, besides the pattern where you're just kind of weepy and you want to crawl in the hole and hibernate forever, there's another, I call it the hummingbird mode, where you just go, you go, 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 where yes. people, and certain kinds of people, their thing is not to talk about it. It's not to cry about it. They're trying to their way of dealing themselves with actions. Right. And, and, and doing. And yes, exactly. And some of that's actually really good. That's mm -hmm. not necessarily bad unless you get to the point that you're just sort of not dealing with anything and then right. it'll come up and bite you in the backside right. later right. on. Right. You might. Over but I remember. Fridge yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the no, freak exactly. is just too clean. Okay, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is a woman I was working with who was really struggling with the loss of her. I think it was her brother, and she just she was a you know um, up and coming executive, young executive, and she just said, "Well, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time." And you know, if I can be really blunt, I just and it's somebody I knew fairly well and she was a very blunt spoken person but she kept saying she didn't even have three minutes not even three minutes and I just said to her do you have time to pee and she said what I said well I think you heard me and she goes well yeah I make time for that and I said well next time you know you head to the women's stall take an extra three minutes and just breathe and uh, long story short she tried this at home and it's interesting you mentioned cleaning the shower stall because she she laughed she said one of the downside was when she was you know kind of sitting there for just three minutes just pausing in her day to breathe, she picked up a whiff of mildew and realized she needed to clean her shower stall. And here's the thing she said to me is, you know, I'm grateful for this. She said, on the other hand, I don't want to be cleaning my shower stall all the time. But she said, here's the thing for me, Kimberly, I, my house, you know, I think she had a condo was just a mess. I mean, it just was, she said, I haven't cleaned anything in months. I just can't pull it together. And she's, and so that was, a, it was that little, and so she said, okay, I'll also walk me through how this really works. And we, and we did, you know, yeah. Um, but it sounds hard to believe you need that little crack. Yes. Yeah. I I get it. I get it. So I, this pandemic grief and we were going to say post pandemic, but it might be boomerang pandemic or more pandemic pandemic 2.0. It's still going on. I wanted to say that in the beginning of, I guess it was shortly after lockdown at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just was laying in bed. And felt just overcome with, you know, sadness, right? So I know what to do now, right? I'm a grown up. <laughs> when, when I have, when I have this, I don't know why I feel sad, but I'm sad feeling, right? right? I, I, another woo woo thing that I heard, uh, learned when I was in woo woo class, you know. Was uh, never underestimate the woo woo, Jeff. <laughs> never underestimate woo woo class, especially when it comes to dealing with emotions. It's almost always right. <laughs> so yay for woo woo. But it was the heart meditation. Have you ever heard of one of those? It's yes. just like where you just tune into that. That's where that pain is. That you're feeling it as a tightness in your chest, and you know, energetically they call that the heart area. And right. then you just feel it. You just let it. Let yourself feel it. And then have a little chat with your heart. You know, it's like, and heart doesn't say much, right? It just, you gasp and, and you feel and you gasp some more and you might weep and cry and then let that happen. And then you feel better, right? So that was my, I don't even know what, you can maybe help me figure out what to call that. But to me, it was like I was grieving something I didn't know I had. Maybe it was the illusion of uh, pre-pandemic world. What, what, what was I grieving? I don't know. But I had to go yeah. through that. And I think we all went through that. And I think there's a lot of people still going through it. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you, you could, cause you also get the more this goes on, there's a wearing down, I think. Um, but again, I think the pandemic and this invisible virus and, and, and especially early on, because early on, if you remember, we didn't know as much about it. And so there's this whole thing, you know, we know there's germs on doorknobs, but I mean, people got really, I still remember a, a, a faculty member uh, doing a YouTube uh, out of a science area about how to wash your produce when you bring it home from the grocery store, yeah. because we we didn't know, you know, any of this stuff. So everything, you didn't know if you were going to, 
you know, bring home an apricot and die or something. You, you, know, right. you didn't know how to bring, you know. So yeah. I think part of it is certainly that bad. I think it's being reminded of our mortality. It is literally watching numbers go up. I mean, at first it was really slow. It's like, oh, there's one here and there's one here. And then we get to the point where it's like, oh, a thousand more today. I mean, it just starts yeah. to ramp up. Right. Um, and the fact that we're all in it together, because that's the other thing, it's communal and everybody's at a different place with this. You know, some people were way more isolated. Then you have some people that had to get up every day and still go do everything they had to do before we heard about this yeah. novel, which novel makes it sound like it should be a fun thing. Oh, it's a novel, <laughs> but it's, it's not, a, it's not a good novel. You know, it's a really bad novel. And um, so, so that's the other thing that's been challenging is we've all been on really different short trajectories, but yes. I think part of it is just, you know, um, not being able to see people's faces, not being, you know, yeah. having to, you know, have a moat around you when you go to buy lettuce. I mean, it, it's all those things. It's it's a loss. It's yeah. one big giant loss of the right. life that we were used to. And everybody dealt with it differently. So I remember <laughs> this is going to like paint a picture of my mental state in like probably January, February, I guess okay. of, of 2020. So my wife and I, Spent way too much time in line at the base BX waiting to buy a gun. <laughs> Not a gun guy, never wanted to own a gun, thought I better do it now. I, I kind of regret that choice now, but that's what I did. Um, you weren't alone, obviously. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no, it was, it was, it was really hard line. to buy that gun. Yes. yes. <laughs> but the other thing... Um, there was a humongous run on everything in the grocery store. The commissary on the base was just overrun, you know, and this was before any of the, you know, the um, rationing sort of thing had right. gone into effect. And already, so this was either January or February of 20, there was one guy who was, he was like wrapped up like everywhere, like he had gloves on. He had like ski goggles on. And uh, oh, man, wow. yeah, he was wow. not taking any risks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we laugh about it. Right. But but it was yeah, poor it's him. real. Poor him. Yeah. I felt I felt bad. I was like, you know, part of me was like, should I be him? <laughs> what does he know? Is he got a clearance? Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, we don't know. Right. Exactly. We don't know. Don't know. Right. Anyway. Right. And in the middle of it too, I mean, the one thing that went down for a little bit in the beginning of the pandemic were things like mass shootings, right? For a little while, there weren't enough masses to, to do mass shootings, right? Cause we were all huddled up in our little cocoons. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, but still in the back of our minds, you see somebody like that. The other reaction can be, can I trust this person? What's going on behind there? Right. I mean, we joke about, we, we joked a little bit about whoever knew you'd go to a bank wearing a mask. Wait a minute. Who knew you would ever do that? You know, um, criminals never had it so good. <laughs> exactly. Well, and so there is this element that, you know, you may, that it is making people and so much of body language is how we communicate with each other. Right. So when you right. can't see half of somebody's face, and, you know, you're going, you can't, I did discover that, in fact, you can tell when people are smiling, you know, yes, because you your eyes are, you smile probably even more with your eyes than you do with your lips and your mouth. So, right. um, but it smile is, anyway. you know, it's surreal. Yeah, yeah. it's surreal. <laughs> totally. So let's talk a little bit about get off the pandemic, right? Um, I'm, I'm going to tell a story about my dad. So right. we had two dogs. 
Schnookums and Sadie. Schnookums was awesome. She died in a more or less natural death. Um, Sadie was Schnookums' daughter, okay, puppy, that we kept. And she was like my big sister's dog and stayed with my dad when my sister left. So became mom and dad's dog. Um, when Sadie died, that was like really rough on everybody because she was a really special dog. Like everybody loved Sadie. <laughs> just a really good fetcher, you know, and just an awesome dog. You know, some dogs are, are okay. Some dogs are awesome. Sadie was awesome. Okay. So um, for years after Sadie died, my dad, I talked to Sadie every morning. Like she was still there. <laughs> and I thought that was really healthy, you know? I, you know, why not? It is. I, thank you. <laughs> it actually is. But, you know, a lot of times people don't know. They think they're going bonkers and or they wonder about a family member who's doing it. And it's actually really healthy. I and there's agree. data out there where they've looked at. They've looked at whether it's a companion animal or a companion human um, that, you know, when you talk or, or find ways to hold on to people in new ways or hold on to our beloved animals in new ways as we move forward with right. life. Um, people actually heal and move through their grief more expediently, better. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, that worked for your father. And, you know, really, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about some of your experiences with animals and, and, and grief. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm an animal person, so it's a right. big one, you know? Okay. Um, and I, and I feel like, I mean, even early in my career, I even had a role where I worked with U university of California Davis school of veterinary medicine. And one of the programs I was hired to help raise funds for was actually the pet loss support hotline. It was the first one in the country. Oh, wow. And the goal was to do two things to teach veterinarians because veterinarians have two patients, right? They have the animal and they have the person and right. the person's the more difficult of the two almost always. Uh, but to teach them about how to deal with grief around animals. So the students were working these, the vet students were working the line. But the other thing was there was a real need for people grieving a pet. And, and it's a, it's an area that where people often feel very isolated. I, I can still remember, and I called him my stepdog because he was really my husband's dog. But then when we got married, it was like part of the, you know, part of what came with my husband was this dog, little snaggletooth dog. Well, Gizmo really quickly became my dog and we went on walks. And I remember after he passed away, someone saying to me, oh, it's just, a, it's just, a, well, fortunately, it's just a dog. You can get another one. And I'm not a violent person, but there was in my mental mind, I just sort of imagined smacking her. Um, I did not do it. Um, but, it, you know, it, you know, because it's just, you wouldn't say that if that was my child, right? Oh, it's just your baby. You can get another baby. I mean, right. nobody says that. And so I really have a soft place in my heart for people when they're losing animals. I have a, um, a well, just a, a, to protect people's privacy, someone I've talked to recently who lost a father and a rescued animal at the same time, you know, within like a couple weeks of each other. And while it was difficult to lose her father and she, her father was late in life, she was able to move in and help take care of him for a while, but it was actually harder when she lost this little dog because this had been a rescue dog and it was, had seemed in the perfect prime of health. She was very, very close with part of her everyday life. And that's mm. the other thing about loss is the dailiness of the relationship. Mm. So she's, she actually felt bad. Again, we think we have a, that there's only one way to grieve, but she felt a little she was struggling more with the loss of the dog than she was with her father. And then the and compounded on that is that her feeling like, you know, should I really be, you know, grieving more for a dog than, than my dad? And right, it's like, right. 
Well, why, why not? Why I not? mean, you loved right. your father. It doesn't mean you didn't, you love your father any less because you missed, because the dog was a part of her life every single day for years. Her dad totally lived in good. another part of the country when until the end of his life. you think about it objectively and you're not you the doing, <laughs> I get it. That's that. What is, what, right. I don't even know how to label that emotion. She was probably uh, guilty, I guess. She felt guilty. For feeling Guilty or shame is one shame, that's often shame. used. Yeah, maybe yeah, shame, shameful you know. of feeling more for her da- uh, dog than dad. I get that. Yeah. That it makes yeah. it makes it makes sense that she would have the the double the double grief. So just take the shame out because there's no shame there, really. There is no shame. <laughs> no. There isn't, you know. No. And we all have those. Special you feel what animals. you feel. I'm, you feel what you feel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's all love's fault, you know. If you didn't right. love. I mean, this would be so easy. Oh, that person's gone. Well, okay, whatever. You know, because you didn't love them, right? But if, if you love, I mean, I, and I think um, the more you love, and and again, that dailiness, I think sometimes even in counseling and therapy, the dailiness of a relationship, because there is a tendency, um, whether it's individuals or even and sometimes in, in the, you know, the literature and how others write about grief to kind of say, well, you know, a grandparent isn't as tough as a spouse, isn't as tough as a mother, isn't as tough as a child. I think obviously a death of a child tends to be the hardest loss, but here's the thing. It really depends on the person. It really, you know, how that, in terms of how they navigate that grief, Mm. sometimes a really good relationship is actually easier to navigate the loss of that than a more complicated one. So, you know, there is no, in the end, there is no one loss, even for that individual person, you know, and over the course of their life, they may have some very different grief experiences that surprise them. Yeah, Um, totally. Yeah. And you're going to feel, like I said, you're going to feel what you're going to feel. And I can totally understand the shame. I probably would feel the same. You know, you need somebody there objectively telling you it's okay to feel that way. (laughs) It is okay. You know, and it doesn't take away. I mean, um, you know, and I just, it just doesn't take away the love that you have for one, one person or one special other um, because you're grieving a little bit harder for another special other, because it's just who you are and what your life is. And it's just the gap that's been created in your life, at least temporarily, that you're trying to that you're trying to bridge. You right. know, I know when I lost, you know, we have two kittens now. Well, technically cats, but we call them kittens. But before this pair, we had two other cats. And I remember our boy cat, Muir, named after John Muir. I mean, he he was one of a very special cat. And we had all these little routines throughout the day, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, just all the time. So all of a sudden, when that little... Lucky. Spirit is gone. Yeah. You know, that's missing. You know, Mm -hmm. it just and you feel it. Um, You just feel it until you and and sometimes that's what makes grief where people can get feel start to feel stuck in a sense is when they can't figure out why. Why all of a sudden am I crying in this moment? And then you Mm -hmm. realize, well, that you know, normally when I do Mm -hmm. blah, 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 I would think of X or X would be there or we would do this together. And sometimes when you can find where those gaps are in your day or your week that we're connected to a beloved other, you can begin to figure out how to bridge those gaps with something else. Not that you're replacing that person, but that you can, you can get honor through the space, those, you know? Yeah. Cause the, the, I like that honoring the space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but Ram Das, have you ever heard this? Oh yeah. That, that letter from Ram Das talking about, um, if you just Google grief letter Ram Das, it'll come up. 
So it's basically. Okay. Yeah, I knew yeah. it's Ram Das, but not the green letter. I will. I you, will Google you that. You should definitely Google it because it's amazing. Um, I'm paraphrasing horribly, but uh, the gist is, um, what you're grieving is the love that you don't want to feel because you know you're you're selfishly wanting that person to fill that space, right? And that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. You can you can put this is the guy who said you can put space around that and see your loved one there, right? And still connect with them in a new way, right? Um, he says it way better than I did. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it is. Right. I know, you know. Again, I think there's also this tendency, more so, I think, in the developed world than in some of the um, developing world, this idea of moving on. And there's a big difference from moving forward because you kind of have to move forward. Time only moves in one direction and you right. are going to be pulled along whether you want to or not. Right, right. There is a little difference. It's a nuanced thing with moving on. And there, I, you know, I've certainly been in situations where, where people have shared stories with me, how family members or friends, um, you know, as they're trying to move forward in their life and they've been told, well, so-and-so is gone. You need to you know, move that behind and focus on the people that are here. You know, that's right. behind you. And for some people, that may certainly work. Again, everybody's different. My experience is most people need to find a way to bring the person or the animal, that beloved other, mm. with them. And right. that can take many different forms. I mean, to this right. day, I have a little, I call it a, you know, a little memory ritual, a little century ritual that, you know, when I was a little girl, my mother told me when you cut a cucumber in half, you're supposed to run rub the ends underwater to get rid of the um, the poisons. Now, I have no idea what kind of poisons you, I'm sure this is some kind of like a, folklore sure. you know yeah, yeah. you know my grandmother is from you know i don't know my but, dad still um, throws but, salt over strilder so <laughs> exactly right so we have no idea really what the, you know but to Where this day if from. i yeah. yeah but if i do that and someday someday it, you know when your father may not be with you in a physical way if you do that you're gonna feel him you're right. gonna feel him exactly. and that's gonna that's gonna bring such a good feeling to you mm. and i, I think just talk the, to sadie I, then 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 i remember him already <laughs> exactly right. and that and that is the whole point is right. that you know we do have to move forward without their physical presence but there's a whole lot more to our relationship with that person or that animal and who they were than just the physical form a body is awful nice you know a physical presence is nice but if we can't have that there's other pieces that we can incorporate into the life we have to live moving forward. I have to say like my, my wife's from Japan. So Japan has this whole thing about, it's almost like ancestor honoring or worship. Mm -hmm. So all of the, and they really like the, the grief ritual, the death ritual in Japan, it lasts years years <laughs> it's not like over right in in the states it's just like very much like you deal with the body and then there's a bunch of food in your house right <laughs> right now let's go yeah now get on with your life uh no so like yeah there's i don't know the specifics but my wife's grandmother died and we had to we weren't able to make it to the, the one that everybody's supposed to go to is the annual, like the year after the death. They have oh, okay. a big sort of like another wake almost. It's a ceremony and then everybody eats. Okay. And talk about her. 
Okay. So I didn't get to do that one, but I went to the one after that, which was some number of years after that we could go to. Um, but I say all of that just to say that they don't just go away. They're, no. Those spirits are now like part of your family that is not human anymore. They're now kami, K-A-M-I. They're spirits, right? And their word for God, if you go to Christian church in Japan, it's oh kamisama, right? So it's like, and those are like O oh, and sama are like honorifics that don't get any higher, right? And so, uh, kami, we already said, is like the spirit, right? Yeah. So like O oh, kamisama is their best way of saying God, but they don't think of in Judeo-Christian God. Different way. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But still, you know, everybody, and then everybody that's died in the family gets a picture a very special particular picture in an honored space near the shrine in the house. And then you have to uh, do several rituals every day to honor them. Like you have to little, you know, so it's there. They've got this death thing down way better than we do. <laughs> well, and it does help. I mean, rituals and it's habits and do, I mean, they do help. And that may not be what everybody wants to do. Everybody works. But if you have something, at least it acknowledges the reality. You know, I right. think it's less real to say, okay, body's in the ground. Let's go get a pizza and it's all over. And, right. you know, okay, it's been two months. Why aren't you dating? You know, I mean, it's, I think, <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a tendency, I think, at times right. for people to feel. And then I think that's part of what makes grief harder for people because they're sitting there thinking, I was just talking with a woman recently who lost someone she loved at the earlier part of this year. Okay, so, you know, maybe seven, eight months ago, feeling like, you know, something happened. It was you had a great churn of emotion. And her comment was, why am I still feeling this? And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you still feel that? I mean, that's not that long. This is somebody right. who had been part of your life. And, you know, when you lose somebody that's been a big part of your life and that dailiness, you know, there is a part of you that's sort of gone because you've lost the person, the relationship, which is like a third person, that connection between you. And then mm -hmm. you are fundamentally a different person because your routine changes, your rhythm changes, right. all of that. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the Japanese are probably onto something and having <laughs> yes. and acknowledging, you know, you don't get over it. And I, you know, I often say uh, loss comes along. And then loss comes along with you for the rest of your life. And so, right. you know, even though we can get through it and, you, and grief doesn't have to be always and all the time, but real, realistically the loss is. So you are going to have these periods where things just sort of bubble up. Right. Yes. It actually, you know, as we wrap up, I'm going to say one more thing. It, it sort of talks about a lack of emotional intelligence altogether, you know, separate from the loss and the grief. We don't really deal with emotions at all. <laughs> so then when we have them so intensely, we really don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> Sad. But thankfully, we have people that, you know, write books during the pandemic instead of play the video game again. <laughs> so thanks. Uh, so you are Kimberly Pittman Schultz. You are at poetowl.com. So how can people best get in touch with Kimberly? Well, certainly my website that you just stated, poetowl.com. Um, my book is on Amazon, or I encourage you to order it from your local booksellers because I adore local booksellers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's in all formats. And uh, I am setting up a special landing page for your listeners. So it will be poetowl.com slash room. 
Uh, so I will get that set up for you. So when they, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of nice. So if your listeners do find their way to my page, they'll see your cover and they won't feel like they're in a stranger's home. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. This has been a blast. Uh, uh, not really, but okay. How about a sad, sad sometimes talk? There you go. I don't want to call it. A As blast. I said, grief and joy coexist, Jeff. That's right. We didn't get there. <laughs> Oh, I think we did. We demonstrated it. That's true. Just by having the chat. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. You have a good one. Thank you, Jeff. You too. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. 